Life's a game, the world's a stage, and we are merely role players, where theatrical people play role playing games. I'm Matt Boothman, and I'm your compare for this main house production. Here on Merely Role Players, we improvise stories for your entertainment and ours, and we use role playing games to keep the story going places even we can't see coming, because as theatrical people, we're all about maximising the drama. This episode is part of our current main house production, Vigil Cold Snap. In this production, we're playing Monster of the Week, a role-playing game by Michael Sands, published by Evil Hat. So please take your seats in the main house. Tonight's production is about to begin. Vigil, a Merely Role Players main house production. Cold Snap, Act 2 of 6. I'm Strat, and I play Briar, the Monstrous. Briar is a shape shifting fey guardian of the Rosebriar Forest. They take their job very seriously, but can get a little distracted if there's mischief to be made. I'm Josh, and I play Ginny Greenteeth, the Spell Slinger. In the Dark Ages, soothsayer Ginny was chased from her village under suspicion of witchcraft. Now, many centuries later, she is the proud owner of a local tourist attraction and gift shop in Sheridan. Hi, I'm Chris Starkey and I play Cameron Jarvis, the Roland. Cam's parents and sister were killed by ghouls when he was just ten years old, while on a camping trip near Sherrydown. Ever since then, a Doom agent has been secretly training Cam to hunt and kill monsters. I'm Nat, and I play Gwynedd the Divine. Gwyn was once a shield maiden of the triple goddess, the Morrigan. After interfering with one of her schemes by rescuing a mortal man, the Morrigan banished Gwyn to live life as a duck in what became Sherrydown's duck pond. Now released from her curse thousands of years later, Gwyn is trying to forge a new life as part of the local National Trust team, that's finding it difficult to stay under the radar. This is a protected forest, and that status needs to be reviewed every now and then. Briar has quite a lot riding on this because uh, Briar has an investment in this forest remaining protected. The four of you see in the stone circle two bodies. Briar recognises these two as Baron Oak and the Holly Duke. So near the two bodies, there are some more modern looking clothes. Briar, they're just going to rush forward into the circle stare at Ginny and then look at Cam tell me it wasn't him Cameron love would you mind going back to the shop closing up and putting the kettle on I don't think we're going to be opening today
what does Cam do to keep himself occupied when he's been sent away from the stone circle? Sent to his room, you mean? Um, <laughs> <coughs> uh, Cam is Cam's put, closed the shop up. He's done as he was told. Um, and in the back room, just behind the till, there is uh, like a coat rack sort of thing. <clears throat> and he is just putting on a set of rather bulky looking biker leathers over his too tight polo shirt and too tight chinos, as well as a pair of pretty heavy duty steel capped toe boots. That's uh, still toe-capped boots. What a stupid name for a piece of clothing that is. Um, but yes, he's putting those on. And I think uh, he's just buttoning up his, the last bit of his biker jacket by the time that Bri would probably flutter in, I'd have thought. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a ritual for him doing this. He's looking into the middle distance as he's doing it all without looking. So, yes, the little Robin kind of will flutter in and land on the table and kind of stand there for a bit and kind of awkwardly tweet a little <laughs> to attempt to get attention. Just as you do that little bit of tweeting, you're, you are ostensibly ignored. But just as, as he finishes, Cam closes his eyes and says, too weak, too slow, too scared, never again. And then looks one little lie that out of the corner of his eye, just looks at you and goes... Hey, Tink. I think as kind of a show of regret. You shit on the counter. <laughs> yeah. No, I think what Brian will do is turn into that kind of stereotypical fairy with wings for a bit and just sit on the side of a counter and kind of just like look down and fill with his thumbs and kind of look up. I I give a rueful smile and just lean against the back wall and go, So, Briar, now looking like as close to sort of like Tinkerbell (laughs) as Briar can get, we'll kind of pop up and just kind of flutter over. Yeah, they're not going to want to say sorry. So I think just a very soft little fairy voice is going to go, I shouldn't have accused you. I know it wasn't you, really. Hey, I get it, man. You know, we we didn't get off on the best footing when I came along, I guess. Uh, Who who were they, Tink? Who were these two? I've never seen them before. That was the the Holly Duke and and Baron Oak. Friends of yours, eh? Family. (laughs) Sure. Hey, I'm sorry, man. That's, uh... It's pretty rough. We fae don't die so often. And not so easily either. Hmm. I'm worried what this means for my forest and for my community. And it's my responsibility to protect it. It's been a long while since any threat has shown this. Its face near my forest. Ginny, I saw... Sort of that. And I'm going to need her help and Gwyn's help. And she trusts you. And I'm willing to place my trust in you. It was in that film, Lord of the Rings? Um, I believe I've read the book. It's, uh. um, 
It's got some strange ideas in it about dwarfs. Yeah. One of them's got an axe. And they have this cool line. You know? Have you, have you seen that bit? Well, I, I haven't really watched the film. I don't... I mean, there's the book. I think there's something... Someone said there's something about tossing. Is it that one? No, no. No, they don't... No, no, you don't toss the... Look, just c- come round to the caravan sometime. We'll watch the bloody film, all right? <laughs> I pick up the duffel bag and say, come on, Tink. Let's go and sort out your forest. Right behind you. I will flip back into Robin form and just flutter and just sit on top of Cam's head. <laughs> and let's be walked towards wherever we're going. Not on the shoulder, on the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as I, as he does this, I just uh, very gently pick up the robin and put it on my shoulder. <laughs> Not having your little pixie ways. <laughs> and, I, and I pick up the, um, the motorcycle helmet on the way out and the duffel bag on the way out. And we start walking back towards the circle. Briar, on the way through the gift shop, you see all these shelves stacked so so neatly Uh, you know you're feeling down you're in a bad place and you see this perfect opportunity for some mischief just to mess up something that cam has so clearly so meticulously put together what do you do i think as we walk past i'm going to allow the tail plumage of the robin just to grow in length just a little bit. So as Cameron walks past the shelves, the feathers just brush across the front of everything and just kind of knock some of the things over. I pause and I know it's him so badly. I just, I just, I take a deep breath. I look at the little robin on my shoulder and I go, just this once it is the most innocent looking robin a robin has ever looked (laughs) and i walk out i was gonna say i hit my head in the fucking wind chime on the way (laughs) (laughs) what have Ginny and gwyn been up to in the stone circle in the meantime as the Stones slowly become more populated with small birds, small bugs, larger birds, larger bugs, and the undergrowth starts to rustle with creatures arriving. I mean, straight away, immediately investigate mystery, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what what do you what does this look like? What do you do to investigate this mystery? To start with, I think uh, Gwynedd's focus. Uh, I don't know about Ginny's, but Gwynedd's focus is on. Is the perpetrator still nearby? If not, where did they go? What are those signs? So looking for sort of tracks and things, broken branches, yeah. that kind of stuff. Because if we know that there's nothing we can do to help the the victims, right, mm. okay, where is where's the perpetrator? Well, why doesn't Gwyn investigate the immediate area and I can investigate the bodies themselves and do a bit of an, or- not a full autopsy, but, you know, by eye, yeah. as to what happened to them? Sure. Up to you, what order would you like to roll in? You're both rolling Investigate a Mystery. If I go first, because I, I, will, I can also, if needs be, fly up to get a wider view of the area. Nice. Nice. 
I'll, I'll need a bit of time to prepare my my divination ritual anyway. Ooh. So I would yeah. I would go to the um, gift shop, go to the kitchen at the back, and prepare my tea, <laughs> which I will need for the ritual. Okay, so Gwyn, you're left alone at the stone circle. Uh, roll plus sharp for us, please. Okay, my sharp is one. Ooh, that was a ten, so I got eleven. Nice. Yeah. Hold two and spend them to ask questions from the Investigate Mystery question list. So, yeah, I'm looking for the thing. So my question is, uh, where did it go? You see clear tracks out of the circle and through the forest. Is it heading in the direction of anything in particular, anything we know? Uh, Yes. They are heading in the direction of Briar's tree. Oh, the tree no. at the heart of the forest where Briar lives. That is not good. And the tracks seem to be... Um, there's definitely tracks of more than one creature that seem to be roughly human-sized. Okay. I guess, yeah, my next question, I think, off the list was going to be what sort of creature is it? So if the tracks are human-sized, is it actually human? Or is it similar to human but not? This, Gwyn can actually work out from uh, some of the remains that are left. That incongruous modern clothing. Mm-hmm. You've seen this before. That slashed hooded top, the jogging bottoms, the trainers, are the remains of a ghoul. Right. A ghoul is a creature of smoke and shadow formed from formless fears that in their modern incarnation tends to inhabit this sort of clothing and they they're capable of wielding many kind of sharp blades Um, and you can see from some of the tracks as you examine them more closely that they are you see trainer prints similar to the the ones that have been left here but you also just sense as a shield maiden of the Morrigan, the the taint, the fear, uh, the residual fear of slain a slain ghoul and several mm. other ghouls that were in this vicinity. Yeah. So can I tell exactly how many there were that fled the scene? Uh, four fled. Four fled. And then there's the the remains of one here as well. Okay. Yes. Yeah, will immediately, as soon as I've kind of clocked all that from circling round in the air, I would immediately dive down and be looking for Briar. Ginny approaches the cer- circle slowly, enters, looks around at the various plant life and animals that have gathered, very aware that dozens of eyes are now focused on her, uh, with a small cup of moss-coloured tea, which seems to be self-stirring bubbling. She goes to her knees again, downs it in one, like the legend she is. Glug, 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 glug. And immediately the brew begins to take hold uh, and she sticks her hands into the ground and would like to use her magic to uh, investigate a mystery via divination. Uh, That is a nine. Okay, Uh, ask one question from the investigate mystery list. So my main question is... What happened here? Okay. How does this divination work for Ginny? Are you seeing a vision of what happened? or are you? I think it's, yeah. 
I think it looks the way it looks is that she plunges her hands, uh, she's on her knees, she plunges her hands downwards into the earth and the earth almost opens up and envelops her hands. And from beneath the ground where these bodies are, a series of tree roots break the surface and wrap around the legs of the two slain. So she's got a direct connection via the earth to them. And she just throws her head up in the air, her eyes go milky white, and she's just able to see and read emotion and see through the eyes of these two individuals in their last moments. Fantastic. So Ginny's consciousness travels back an hour or so and travels back so that she is experiencing these events simultaneously as both Baron Oak and the Holy Duke. The first thing that you sense is excitement and anticipation and jollity and camaraderie as uh, you see from two different perspectives uh, the two of them approach the stone circle and walk into the stone circle draw their swords and playfully circle one another in the manner of two who have done this many times there's a sort of an air of ceremony of ritual but also of kind of play and mummery to it and they circle each other and they taunt. The Holy Duke says, This will be the year, knave, when I will reign. And Baron Oak replies, Nay, dear God, spring will come early this year. I will see to it by my blade. And they begin a playful duel. Neither one seems particularly intent on actually hurting the other. Uh, though the swords are still very sharp. Uh, and they circle one another, faint, dodge, jab, parry, riposte. And just as it seems that Baron Oak is ready to go for the final blow to disarm his opponent, from the undergrowth there is a rustling from all around the stone circle. And between the stones ghouls burst into the circle surrounding Baron Oak and the Holy Duke and the anticipation and the excitement and the uh, the adrenaline that you feel from them both gives way to real fear they're actually battling for their lives as they turn back to back and duel the ghouls between uh, defending what themselves and one another from these five ghouls but they're overwhelmed. The ghouls fight viciously. They dodge and the Duke's and the Baron's blades slice at the outer clothing of the ghouls. Smoke and shadow leak out, but they don't fall. Baron Oak takes one down with two mighty slashes that cut all the way through its uh, hooded top and too much smoke and shadow leaks out for the, the, the thing's form to hold, and it falls where you, in the real world, see uh, those remains. But the remaining four leap two on each of the Fae, and the many blades glinting within their sleeves slash and stab at the pair until they move no longer and Ginny's consciousness is 
shunted out as their own consciousnesses go dark. The roots subside. The eyes return to normal. Um, I do get a free question with my forensic divination ability. Lovely. What magic was done here? This attack was in itself a form of magical ritual. The biannual duel of Baron Oak and the Holy Duke is part of what creates the turning of the seasons. Baron Oak prevails in spring uh, and brings the summer. The Holy Duke prevails in autumn and brings the winter. And so to slay both of them at this time is to unbalance the natural turning of the seasons in this forest. But there was no magic that emanated from the ghouls or that brought them into that holy ritual. They, it was just an, like an opportunity, an ambush. Only the natural... The ghouls are magical beings, mm-hmm. but they, they were not performing magic, so to speak, okay. in doing this. They they just overwhelmed these two by pure numbers and force. Okay. And Ginny returns to normal and puts her head in her hands. That was a lot of effort. That's probably would have been enough time for, for Gwyn to do her, her circling round and uh, and immediately land next to her. Are they back yet? I don't know. I think they're they're coming. If you look around you can probably see them just leaving the gift shop. Mm-hmm. Gwyneth helps Ginny to her feet, understanding that it has been quite an ordeal for her, and kind of holds her shoulders, but looks dead at the the tiny little robin. We need to go home. Now. Hey, uh, old woman, you look a bit shaky there. What's up? Just saw some awful things. Cameron, we're up against something evil. Aren't we always? (laughs) That's a very good point, Cameron. I hadn't thought of it in that way. We are, but this this, this could this could threaten the very sanctity of the forest, of the seasons, of everything that Sheridan is built on. I have a question about um, Gwynedd's knowledge of Cam. In the six months or so that you've known each other, given that he'd, he'd come to her for advice and that kind of thing, would he have told her about his tragedy? Uh, no, he definitely would not have done. Fine. Okay. Briar, I I think it's time for the bodies to be taken and buried. I've done everything that I can do. Briar will flitter off of Cam's shoulder and just, like, flutter into the undergrowth where all the rustling and everything was happening. And you just hear little cheeps and chirps and rustles and snickers of squirrels and everything. And they're... Fae and animals uh, start to to approach the the circle, and like together they they lift up the bodies of the Holy Duke and the Oak Baron, uh, Baron Oak. Assuming they're true forms. Uh, yes, I think so. They're various true forms. So transforming from uh, from innocuous-looking woodland creatures to humanoid creatures with uh, bent back legs and antlers, garlanded in feathers or ivy. Normally a very jolly bunch full of dance and song, but now possibly chanting something somber. I was going to say, I think there is some, yeah, I think there's still song, but it is a, as they carry them kind of away, it is, yeah, a sad song of passing. 
Yeah, a song for fallen champions and fallen heroes. Like these two were known as kind of bombastic warriors. Hmm. I think while while they're while they're doing that, I think uh, Gwynedd probably would have uh, been mentally preparing and being like, right, where do I need to go to get my uh, my staff, and and where what does. Ginny need to do to prepare and Cameron needs to go but she will have knelt to the floor and kind of had a hand on the ground out of respect and deference in this moment. Ginny would do the same and she'd slap Cameron on the back of the knees to indicate that he should do the same. He completely ignores and just leans with his arms crossed leaning against one of the standing stones and just watches the whole thing with a slight smirk on his his face because he knows there's going to be some killing coming. (laughs) Just as the critters carry the little fairies away, I just want to say, hey, Don. Donald. Yes. You seem to know what we're going to be uh, going up against it, and, and his smile's getting bigger and bigger as he's sort of discussing this. You seem to know what we're going to be doing here, buddy. What are we facing? Yes, well, I think it's time that we all geared up. We need to head back to, to Briar's home. There's ghouls heading there. Cameron pauses and just smiles and just this almost like reptilian <laughs> yes <laughs> and he turns around and says Marty you're not needed here and he drops he pulls out a hunting rifle out of his bag and walks back towards the caravan Gwyneth definitely raises an eyebrow at uh, at that but I think probably turns to the others uh, and says to, to Briar, are you okay to to run again? The little robin turns into a black stallion and just snorts and kind of stamps the ground a bit. And then she turns to, uh, to Ginny. How are we feeling? You up for, a, up for flying? Feeling a little bit tapped to be honest with you love but the tea certainly helped let's fly all right lovies it's me matt your compare just staying in my seat and reading the program in the interval this time can't always have the energy to bounce around shaking hands we got a lovely new review on Apple Podcasts that I wanted to share with you all. Django Cat writes, Sometimes roleplay from actual actors can feel a little aloof or serious, but this lot are down to earth and all too happy to go off the silly end. There's a real variety in the systems and stories for each play, and I'd say there's probably something for everyone in there. Personal fave character is Graham, the demon pretending to be an accountant in Vigil. Five stars. Thanks, Django Cat. I get a weekly email that tells me whenever someone's left a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. So if you're on either of those platforms and you fancy leaving a little note and a five-star rating, know that I will read it and I will appreciate it. I'm about to go call beginners for our next scene, so I'll just leave you with a message from our friend Fiona at the What Am I Rolling podcast. Fiona was nice enough to invite Nat, Strat, Josh and I for a game of Sleepaway by Jay Dragon last year. So if you like the sound of What Am I Rolling and you're looking for a jumping on point, that one will have some familiar voices. Here's Fiona to tell you a bit more, and then please return to your seats in the main house for Vigil 
Cold Snap, Act 2 of 6. Hey, listen. Do you want to find out more about tabletop and live role-playing games, but not too sure where to start? Do you want to play a lot of different role-playing systems, but don't have time to try them all? Do you want to listen to new and exciting adventures, but without the long, boring character creation episodes or filler story arcs? Well, you're in luck. Check out What Am I Rolling, a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. Available on the website, that's www.wairpodcast.com, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, adventures need not apply. I would like to do a flashback, if we may. Mm, Sure. To Cameron. Training with Cameron's mentor. Nice. Cameron's mentor is uh, Ernie Baring, an Mm -hmm. agent of the Department of Emissions. Ernie never had very much time with you. Whenever Ernie visited, it was always a flying visit. And you had to pack in as much training as you could into the short time that you had, right? So I think he was the sort that would like have you doing some sort of physical training, you know, learning to shoot, learning to fight, uh, doing press ups, whatever, and would like give you information at the same time and be quizzing you on things. Okay, I like it. So roughly how old was Cam when Ernie first told him, uh, gave him the lowdown on what ghouls really are? And what physical activity were you doing as this conversation takes place? (laughs) Uh, I think Cameron was still quite young, to be honest. I think it's something that, um, because of his nightmares every night for his entire childhood after the event, I don't think he would really let it drop every time Ernie came in. I think he'd just that'd be the first question he'd ask. So maybe a few months after the event. So I think he's still probably no older than eleven or twelve. I'd have thought okay. at this point. And I reckon that Cameron was in the middle of learning his stances for different sort of weapons um, with like a little training sword in hand maybe or down like a, a makeshift rifle range or something like that. So he's uh, he's questioning him whilst beating the shit out of something or shooting. <laughs> yeah, may- maybe maybe both like training swords and, and rifle range and you're sort of doing this weird kind of 11-year-old like weird biathlon kind of thing where you're running between different different things yes um and this is on probably like some sort of uh like abandoned farm or something like that that is taking you out to to train in secret yep ernie bearing is a a a thick set chap always wears a suit if we were casting this he would be played by tommy lee jones but he is a london lad okay so as cameron is let's say training with a wooden sword against like a dummy like mm-hmm. going for going for different hits ernie's standing there with his arms folded behind all right cameron do you know what a ghoul really is they're all dead if you ask me when i get to them they'll be dead anyway uh, to to kill something like that you've got to understand it you can't just go swinging he says this as Cameron just swings even more wildly. All training has gone out of the equation. He's now just like smacking the thing. 
and the sword like bounces off a heavily padded bit of the dummy and overbalances Cam backwards. Mm-hmm. You stumble. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about, boy. In fact, what does Ernie call you? Does he call you Cameron, Cam, Jarvis? He calls me CJ. <laughs> oh, <I> no. <laughs> That's exactly the sort of thing I'm talking about, CJ. You've got to understand your target. So you carry on what you're doing. Concentrate on your forms while I lay this out for you, all right? Uh, Cameron stands up with the sword in his hand. And like, in any way, like, little kids couldn't look that angry, you know... Now, like when little kids just look so angry, they can't. There's no control whatsoever, and he just glares at Ernie until suddenly, like this layer of coolness just seems to glaze over Cameron's eyes, and he just goes back to methodically hitting the the dummy. Like something seems to change in his demeanour, which I think is quite unsettling to see in an eleven-year-old. Yeah, so Cameron turns back to the dummy and starts hitting it, and doesn't necessarily see the look that passes over Ernie's face. Mm. the look of sort of worry, concern which then turns back into determination CJ, what you've got to understand is there are people in this world who have nothing to fear they live in their tall glass houses behind their shiny, shiny fences born into money they've got nothing in this world to be afraid of but somewhere deep down All humans understand we used to be animals. We're supposed to be afraid. So, these people who've got nothing to fear, they make stuff up. Make stuff up to be afraid of. And that's ghouls. Through the ages, through the years, they they change what they look like. But it's whatever those people who have nothing to fear think they ought to be afraid of. What did they look like when they attacked you? They look like um, like these big apes with huge claws that just seem to rip, rip everyone to pieces. Now, does that sound like something that would really exist? Or does that sound like something that's sprung out of the brain of someone who's never had to be afraid in their life? I've never seen anything like it before or since. So, I, yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. That's what you've got to understand about ghouls. CJ, is really, they're pathetic. Ghouls shouldn't exist, and they know it. They'll flock, and they'll nest, and they'll hide, because they're creatures of fear, and they're afraid. I'm never going to be scared again. The thing you've got to understand is when you disturb them from that state, they'll attack you like creatures that are made of fear. You remember how afraid you were? I was. But I'm not anymore. Yeah, right. You remember what that fear made you do. Yeah. That's what it's going to be like attacking ghouls. But are there more out there? Oh, yes. There's so many people out there who are afraid, CJ. And every time that fear builds up, creates more ghouls. I, I sort of, He stops. Cameron stops as he says there's more. And just looks over his shoulder at Ernie and just says, How many more? And where are they? Cities, normally. You don't get a lot of them out in the country. They're mostly in uh, the sorts of bits of the cities 
where people who live in big skyscrapers think evil creatures and monsters live. But Ernie, but, but I was in the country when they, when they attacked us. Yeah. Why, why were they there, Ernie? That was uh, an anomaly. What, what, does, what does an anomaly mean? Get back to your training, boy. And that's all you get out of Ernie in that session. Back to the present. As the four of you travel through the Rosebriar Forest, those of you who are more in tune with nature notice that the wildlife seems confused. There are squirrels that you can see running about burying nuts as if they're preparing for the winter. There are birds flitting about manically uh, that should be nesting normally right now, flitting about manically as if they're preparing to migrate but it's not the right time of year for that. Different members of the same species acting completely out and differently to one another. The whole forest seems confused. Have we established what time of year it actually is? Yeah, it's early spring, or should be. So how are the four of you travelling? What sort of speed, what sort of configuration? I think I'm on Briar's back. Briar is is going to be following those tracks and getting back home. Well, I guess I guess the question is, do we want us all to get there at the same time, or do you want someone there right now? Oh, get there right now, I think. Okay. Well, that's the thing. So I can teleport, so I can get there instantly, mm-hmm. as a given. Mm-hmm. If I want to carry someone, I've got a roll to guarantee that they get there with me <laughs> and make it there with me. But I, yeah, I can carry up to two people. And it's got to be a 10 plus to make sure we all go where I wanted. It's a gamble now. Or I can go there on my own straight away, but obviously everyone else will take time to catch up. Uh, well, four ghouls might be quite a big ask, yeah. possibly. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to be carrying Ginny and flying if we want to all arrive at the same time. Or if we need to get someone immediately there, I can go. But risky, risky. I'm happy to to travel through because as well as getting there, I I, want to take a look at what's actually going on and evaluate the effects that is currently being had on on Rosebriar. Because in my mind, there's two things I've got to do. I've got to find these ghouls and make sure they don't hurt anyone else. But I've also got to fix my forest. Mm -hmm. The immediate danger is the ghouls, though. Short term let's uh, head off the ghouls and then long term we can all work out what we're going to do with the forest because Ginny would be 100% behind saving the forest naturally but we've also got some rampaging ghouls that need to be located hmm. I would like to though, as we're going through take a look and work out the how immediate the threat is to the forest itself and assess that yeah, I think you can you can just do that by observing. Um, it, it's initial confusion at this point. In fact, what you are seeing is there is a sort of a pattern of movement mm-hmm. um, that you're seeing a lot of wildlife kind of heading your way as you travel. Sure. 
not necessarily all from the direction of your tree, but from other parts of the forest as well. But it seems like there are two effects happening. One is that the behaviour of the animals is wrong for the season or seasonally confused. But that doesn't seem to be causing like lasting damage right now. None of the animals are like hurting themselves through it. They're just acting a bit erratically. But there also seems to be a, be a bit of a migration of wildlife away from certain parts of the forest, maybe like the southeast portion. Can am I able to feel? I guess the like what instinct is driving the wildlife away? Yeah, this feels like it could either be investigate mystery or read a bad situation. Um, if you take a look at the questions on those and see which ones seem most appropriate. Okay. Read a bad situation is going to be the best one, but I have minus... Oh, no, I have zero sharp, so, yeah, that's okay. Right. Here we go. Okay, so you're reading a bad situation, you're looking around, trying to work out what actually is causing this and whether it represents a threat to you. Mm -hmm. So roll plus sharp. First roll of the game! Oh, that's uh, it's a ten. Hey. Uh, six and a four. Nice. Okay, no help required. Hold three. Mm. Three? Yeah. Holy moly. Okay, so... That's huge. First of all, then, I would like to ask, are there any dangers we haven't noticed? Yes. There is something in the southeast of the forest that these creatures are fleeing. And you notice as you extend your senses and you look more closely at the creatures that you're seeing around that there are signs of frost on some of the birds' wings in some of the fur of some of the rabbits and squirrels running around. Mm -hmm. And as you sort of extend your senses through your forest, you can feel cold in that quarter. Okay, that's odd. And that's, this seems different to ghouls. Yes. I don't know what I know. This is something else. This isn't just, this isn't ghouls. As far as, yeah, based on your knowledge of ghouls, this isn't in their skill set. They can't create frost. Okay, so that's bad. Um, I would like to know what's my best way in. So if we were to go there and explore that phenomenon more, what's mm -hmm. the best way to do that? So as you continue to extend your senses, Briar, you can sense, as you inspect this cold patch of the forest more deeply through your, your the senses entwined with the roots and the leaves, you can feel that it is on the move. It's spreading. Mm -hmm. And so your best way in to investigate this would be to kind of circle round to the south and approach it from the direction it seems to be spreading from. Because if, if it's like something creating this effect, you could get behind it that way. Okay, cool. Well, I'll keep going towards my tree, first of all. And we can do that in a bit rather than just change complete direction. Oh, yes. Um, and so as guardian of the forest, the last thing I certainly want to know is what's the best way to protect the victims? In which case, I guess, would be the forest and its inhabitants. Yeah, the forest and the fae. The more that you reach out and sense this cold, this frost, the more threatened you feel by it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel just like cold. It feels it's like a killing cold. You can see that, that the creatures are instinctively afraid of it. They're running before it can do more than graze them. Mm -hmm. um, and so the best way to protect the victims is to deal with that. Okay. 
you've got to stop whatever this is that's freezing your forest. Sure. Okay. Brad doesn't necessarily like doing this, but he's got to talk in animal form. <laughs> kind of feel it's fun to do with humans, but it's kind of against nature and it feels a bit weird when he does it. So he's running as a horse, his, his big stallion persona. And so as a strange, strange stallion horse voice. Oh God, what's it going to sound like? Uh, <laughs> I'm just going, call to the south. Must get home. Ginny, check it out. Thank you, Brian. That was not even the strangest thing that's happened to me today. Speaking to an horse. She says, whilst being carried. Yeah. I look up uh, at the person who's carrying me because I, I, I assuming, um, Gwyn, that you're sort of um, carrying me underneath you, you know, un- underslung and my legs are like dangling yeah, rather I'm, than I'm, me sitting on your back. My arms are round your, your kind of upper torso to try and hold you in place while I'm flying. Cool. Okay. So I reach into my little apron and uh, I pull out a handful of um, oak bark that's come from uh, uh, that part of the forest. And I just grip it very tightly in my hands, so tightly that it starts to pierce uh, the skin of my palms. And I begin to bleed, and as my blood mixes with the with the oak, with the trees, I attempt to go into a trance and see that portion of the forest. Roll plus weird, please. Ten. Nice. What? The magic works without issues. Everybody's rolling so well today. Stop it. Not bode well because I haven't rolled yet, Matt. That's the, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the magic works without issues. So, what does this look like to the others and to Ginny herself as this magic works without a hitch? Well, I guess it might be tricky for Cameron and um, and Briar to spot this, being at ground level as they are. But I think Briar gets gets an idea that something is trying to commune with the forest, and that something is me. Um, I just begin to, to, to shiver slightly as I'm gripping tightly this bark in my hands and I begin to sort of speak in tongues as my mind is being forcibly thrown throughout the trees and it's like I'm a disembodied head just floating and zooming from my current location towards that part of the, um, that part of, of, of the forest. And I begin to shake, which might freak Gwyn out, I don't really know, but I begin to shake as eventually I focus on this frosty enemy. Your viewpoint ping-pongs through the forest from tree to tree, and a few miles away from where you are, the forest changes, and there is almost almost a hard order where the forest changes from uh, the green of early spring to the grey-white of a hard frost. Everything beyond this line is frozen solid or dead. The ground is hard. The trees are covered in frost. And your consciousness flies for another mile beyond that line. And after that mile, something comes into view. A creature walking slowly through the forest, unhurried. This creature is... 11 or 12 feet tall at the shoulder and it has the form of an ancient Irish elk. Imagine a moose and if you've never seen a picture or footage of a moose, imagine how big you think it is and it's bigger than that. Moose are huge. 
So it, it has the sort of the moose build, but with more of a deer-like face and muzzle. Every single strand of its fur is frozen solid with permafrost. Its antlers are made of solid, transparent ice, and they are the kind of... They, they form a sort of scoop shape, like, uh, like oak leaves, uh, and they, the edges of them seem to be, look razor-sharp. Every time this creature places down a hoof, frost spreads from it. Mm. And it is moving slowly, unhurried, in the direction of Briar's tree. This has been Vigil, a main house production from Merely Roleplayers. It stars Chris Starkey as Cameron Jarvis, Natalie Winter as Gwynedd, Strat as Briar, and Josh Yard as Ginny Greenteeth. Sound design for this production is by Natalie Winter, and the theme music is by Alex Pankhurst. I'm Matt Boothman, and I play the supporting cast, as well as editing and producing this episode. We were playing Monster of the Week, a role-playing game by Michael Sands, published by Evil Hat Productions. You can find Monster of the Week at genericgames.co.nz. Merely Roleplayers is a Foggy Outline production in association with Blackshaw Theatre Company. Until next time, if drama be the food of life, play on. So if you fail this role, you're going to appear and you're just going to be holding Ginny's arms and doing nothing else other. <laughs> just a streak of blood. Well, right. the, the, quest, the questions are, on a seven to nine, you don't quite manage it. It doesn't say, like, what happens below a seven. So presumably it's just, you don't. Survive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Do it, roll uh, it.